As travel restrictions return and the threat of lockdown looms once again, we're, run- we're wondering if this Groundhog Years will ever end, how to escape, and if we get to replay the Euro final. Okay, maybe that's just me. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod, guys. It's that time once again. As always, I am Rory, and I'm joined by... Tommy. Welcome, listeners. You can find us on all the social media platforms you want. On Twitter? You say Twitter? Yes, at Italian Anglo Pod. On Instagram, at Anglo Italian Pod. And you should also give a follow to our beautiful sponsor at Sports Club Maps. It's holiday season. We know that you're looking for that special gift for somebody. And what better place than www.sportsclubmaps.co.uk? Rory, you mentioned quite a few things in that uh, introductory uh, quote. Uh, Travel restrictions. I know that you were personally hit by this thing. What's going on, bud? Oh, mate, I'm disappointed. Mine and Tom's trip um, to Austria has had to... Has had to be cancelled, unfortunately. Um, there's a few things about English fans being banned from the stadium, which I'm not. I'm trying not to go on a rant on, but I feel like English fans are treated extra harshly by UEFA. Um, I feel like a lot of countries get away with a lot of things that if it was English fans, they would not get away with. Um, so, unfortunately, um, West Ham fans have been banned from the stadium. We did have tickets, and then we thought, okay, maybe we'll go and not go to the game. But then now, obviously, there's talk about Austria bringing in curfews and we just thought maybe it's for the best to just sit this one out and try and catch the happy hammers once they get through the group stage and in the knockout rounds, right? <laughs> so we're just going to try later on, see if we can do it in the new year. A little bit annoying, very annoying, but, you know, we move. Where is time gone? In two months, it's 2022. It's going to be two years, man. I was reading it earlier because I couldn't, I couldn't believe it was already two mm-hmm. years Kobe Bryant passed away almost two years ago. In January, it's going to be two years. And the start of coronavirus, 19, was at the end of 2019. So it's been two years since all the madness started. And now there are curfews looming over us, lockdowns. I heard that in Germany, apparently, there was a big surge in cases. Mm -hmm. In the Netherlands, there is a new lockdown. And it feels like Northern Europe is being engulfed by this shitstorm. And slowly, of course, it's going to drizzle down all the way. It'll get here eventually. We'll just be a few weeks behind. We'll just be a few weeks behind. Um, It's just, I don't know, there's nothing you can do about it, is there? We've just got to smile and keep going and listen to the Anglo-Italian pod. That's all you can do. But another thing that you can do is have your house blessed by an Italian priest, correct? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So yesterday, usually when people buzz on the door, I just ignore it, right? Um... But and yesterday, just, it felt like a holy sound. And you were just like, oh, oh no. it sounds heavenly. <laughs> Honestly, this old lady, she was like, she didn't just press the buzzer. It was like a full minute of pressing the buzzer. And I was like, okay, I better answer the door. So I like got up and then she said something in Italian. And it always takes me a minute to kind of translate it in my head. And I said yes before I'd fully translated it. And then I was like, oh, wait, did she say, oh, for... so then this priest comes up. Came into the house. He like told me to stand. Like he was like, stand up. I was like, oh right, okay, fine. I was like in a hoodie in my footy top. I was like, okay. And then he just like blessed the house, threw the holy water about. The dog hasn't been very well, but she's better now. He did a little thing for the dog, and then he left. Really? And I was like, okay, what the fuck just happened? That's but super, you know now, this house should cute. be okay. Is the dog feeling much better? Yeah, she's all right now. She's snoring in the other room, so she's fine. 
She's that's like, great. The intervention of a priest. Yeah. Maybe it works. The... Maybe it works. This thing, Rory, we were just discussing it off mic, but I have probably made the official decision of de-baptizing myself, ladies and gentlemen. So I was listening to this very good comedy podcast uh, by this Italian comedian named uh, Daniele Fabri. He he's a comedian. His his podcast is a, one of the most left wing things I've ever heard, mm-hmm. and especially most anti church things I've ever heard. But he made an episode, a ten minute episode, in which he explains all the good reasons for debaptizing yourselves. Now, Rory didn't see, didn't really see the point in this, but. I'm not a Catholic, but in the official register of Italian Catholics, my name is there simply because I was baptized. What what does this mean? This means that whenever there is a big social issue in Italy and everything, they feel the need to ask a priest for an opinion. And the excuse is that Italy is a, a, is a highly Catholic country. So if people like me start debaptizing themselves, we can lower that statistics and maybe they will stop asking a priest what he thinks about abortions in the future. So this is only one of the good reasons to debaptize yourself. But can I say something stupid? I For a second, I was just like, it's very simple. You have to go online, download a PDF, you fill it in, you go to the post office, very Italian, you send it. And then they send you a letter back saying that the church does not recognize you anymore. Basically, you shouldn't be allowed to enter a church anymore. Can you cool. believe that as I was reading the PDF for a second, there was a very irrational part of my brain that said, well, what if all that Mate, story is true and you burn in hell? <laughs> Mate, I, I have the very opposite opinion. I'm not, a, I'm not a religious person, but I was baptized. And I'm like, always got that in the back pocket. <laughs> always got that in the back pocket when i get to my deathbed i can be like yeah sorry about all that and i'll be fine you know it's just it, it, i don't know what the phrase is in italian but we say um hedging your bets it's like hedging mm-hmm. your bets right yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. i feel like always have that in the back pocket but i assumed the procedure would be like i don't know some puddle water on your head or something like i didn't think it would just <laughs> be that- some admin i don't know but then I thought about it again, and in the podcast at the end, he actually said it. It was just like, and guys, if you're afraid, if that irrational part of your brain is speaking to you, here are some names that you might hang out with in the afterlife because they were not baptized. <laughs> and he made a list, and it's a bunch of very cool people. So I'm like, I'll be in good company if that exists. <laughs> but I believe it's time to actually talk about football. What do you say? Yeah, we've done religion, we've done politics, it's time to do football. Let's move to the Euro Review. And here we are, we're in the European blimp, overlooking Europe, and one of us is smiling, and one of us is looking a bit upset. Tommy, how do you feel? We predicted it, we called it that Italy were going to struggle. How do you feel about getting the prediction right? I, it's just a little embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, I, I guess we know Italy. We know our football, Rory. We often wonder. We have a football podcast. Do we know enough? But we predicted this one, and off we go. Northern Ireland, Italy, nil nil. You know what's funny about the flag that Northern Ireland have with a big hand that seems to say "stop" right there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's what happened to Italy. I was <laughs> looking, I well, you can imagine that Italian football pages on Instagram and Twitter have been all over this despicable draw. 
And man, only two players in the Northern Ireland, the starting lineup, play in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. All the rest is Championship and League One. Mm -hmm. How is it possible, I'm asking myself, that the champions of Europe don't manage to overcome such opposition? As one of my favorite um, online football online magazines said, the miracle is not uh, that Ireland, Northern Ireland managed to draw against us. The miracle is that we managed to win the Euros. <laughs> Now, well, if you think about it, in these games, what you need sometimes is that superstar to really make a statement. And Italy don't have that many superstars compared to other national teams. This is not an excuse. But especially we don't have that one striker. We pretty much renounced to playing with a striker already at the Euros. Immobile was... What was Immobile? He was one of our starting 11 players, mm -hmm. but definitely I wouldn't label him as a striker. Um, right now, man, the situation is so bad that right now there are even talks about a certain... 31-year-old Mario Balotelli. Get him wanting, on the plane. Get him on the plane. Wanting to make a comeback just for the playoffs in March. But yes, it's despicable. I think that the game against Switzerland, you're awarded a penalty. I mean, I could... I'm very sensitive about penalties this year. Inter Milan have already missed the two in very important games against mm -hmm. Atalanta and AC Milan. Now Jorginho steps up and skies the penalty at the dying minutes of that game. Look, am I the one like do I have to remind our footballers that the penalty is a is the best thing that can happen to you during a football game? You got to take that shit seriously. Like, unless the goalkeeper pulls out an incredible save and that can happen, man, you shouldn't be missing these penalties. Now, this is creating a lot of problems for the national team. Just like we're going to have two games. They're going to be intense games in March. And if we miss out on the World Cup, it will be our second consecutive year. And there are talks over at FIFA of reducing even more the number of European teams that will participate mm -hmm. in future World Cups. So if it's a, a struggle right now, I can only imagine in the future. Rory, what did you make of our despicable draw in Belfast? It was really boring, Tommy. It was really boring. I tried to watch it and I sat down and I was like, right, I'm not going to play football manager during this. I'm going to sit and watch the game. I'm going to sit and see what happens. And within 20 minutes, I was like, fuck this. I'm going to watch the game in the background. It was terrible. There was no attacking threat. It just looked ponderous, no ideas, unimaginative, slow. Like Northern Ireland were always there to spoil the party, right? That's what they were going to do. They were going to break up the play, stop you from playing, like cynical fouls, catch you on the break. And to be honest, they had the better chances throughout the game. On the counter-attack, they did look dangerous the odd time. And I was like, oh God, Italy genuinely could end up 1-0 down here. Um, but the overall feeling, and again, you kind of it came to it, was the lack of striker. Now, I was looking at Serie A and I realized none of the top clubs have Italian strikers. The only ones that do, the only one that does is Lazio, right? Torino, you wouldn't consider a top team, right? But they have Bellotti. Not But at all. And Bellotti, I think, is Like, up. Inter don't have an Italian striker. AC, Juve, none of them have Italian strikers. And this is the problem. Like, there aren't strikers good enough to play for the top teams in Serie A. So how do you expect them to be good enough for international football? I think it's like, I know countries go through this where they'll have, like, 
a complete lack of one position. Like I remember throughout the 2000s in England, it was always, we didn't have a left footed winger, right? And it was like, why are there no left footed wingers in England that are good enough? So like countries go through these periods and for Italy, maybe it's just a period of not many quality strikers. There's a few exciting young ones that people are waiting to come through, like maybe Esposito or Raspadori or like Pinamonti, these strikers that are young that maybe have a future, but there's no strikers for now. And I think that is what Italy is lacking massively, as well as the fact that players like Chiesa is having a terrible season. Like Insigne is always hit and miss. Like it just, it and they're seems... not, n- neither Chiesa nor Insigne, they're proper strikers. Well, that's what they're... I mean. They're like, so to put all the, like, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of responsibility on the wingers to chip in with the goals. And, they're not scoring for their clubs, not really. So how do you expect them to go in? If you know what I mean, it's like, it's just a complete lack of attacking threat at the moment from Italy. And then, sorry, the last point is also Italy haven't been the same since Spinazzola disappeared. Right? True. Very, like, very good point. Very good after point, his yeah. injury, Italy weren't convincing in any other Euros game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's a, it's a bit revisionism, I think, maybe, but... Like every other game they drew in the tournament, right? It took like extra time or penalties. And it was all since Spinazzola left. So I think that attacking threat there is massively lacking as well. Um, is it Di Lorenzo who plays left back now? Or was it? No, Zappacosta, right? Yeah. the I mean, Zappacosta was called up. Di Lorenzo, Rory and I always struggle with left back and right back. I always forget which one's which. Di Lorenzo <laughs> is a left back, I believe. Yeah. And I feel like as much as he's having a decent season for Napoli, he had yeah. an absolute nightmare against um, Switzerland. He had an awful game, um, except for the goal. He had an awful game. There's a moment where he just fell over his own feet. So I think like the player, like they're missing Spinazzola so much. Um, and I think Italy haven't been the same since he's gone. So there's a lot of things there that are just kind of, falling away a little bit um, and Mancini looked completely lost on the bench he looked genuinely like I was like Roberto try not to look so desperate <laughs> for yeah, ideas because no, no, no. you look scared like he looked scared and to back what you're saying Rory ever since Spinazzola got injured in the game against Belgium out of nine international games including the Euros do you know how many Italy managed to win within the 90 minutes I don't know. I have no idea. Three, four? I don't know. Two games. Only two games we managed to win. All the rest were draws. So we drew against Spain at the Euros. We drew against England at the Euros. (laughs) We drew against Bulgaria. We drew against Switzerland. Goalless draw. And then one win against Lithuania. A defeat against Spain. A win against Belgium. Draw against Switzerland. And draw against Northern Ireland. I think that something needs to be done. Uh, we did find a striker. And here is why we are going to launch the hashtag fucking call Mattia Destro again. What, what does he have to do? What does yeah. he have to well, do? Well, he was injured. This international break, he was injured. Um, call, just call Mattia Destro. I think he can get the job done. This guy, just he was thinking of quitting football a few years ago, and now he's back in shape. Call him up. I think his goal record for a pretty terrible Genoa side is pretty good. Like his goal record, I feel like this season he's already got a fair few, and they're doing terribly. Like who else is there? Belotti looks like a pub player at the minute. Like he does not look good. Like why not give him a go? If you're turning to fucking Balotelli, who's barely a footballer anymore, why are you going to him before Destro? I know him and Mancini like have this love-hate relationship and maybe that's it. But like, I don't know, Mattia, come on. 
send Roberto a text message, call him, fucking say I'm still here, mate. Well, if if I was Balotelli, I don't even know if I would want to join the national team because if we don't make the playoffs, oh my god, you can't. <laughs> it will, it will all not be his fault. It will all be his fault. But since we are at it, Rory, I feel like I have some clarity of mind finally, and I understood how the playoffs work. Can I take you through? Oh it? my god, go please. There is going to be a draw in Zurich on November twenty sixth. Okay, there are 12 teams that are going to take part in the European playoffs. And out of these 12 teams, only three are going to make it to Qatar 2022. Now, these 12 teams are going to be divided into two group, into three groups, we can call them. These three groups are going uh, to be played in a knockout stage format made of semifinals and finals. The winners of each group go to the World Cup. Rory, are you following me? I'm with you. I think I'm with you. Beautiful. Now, there are top seeds based either on the Nations League or on the final score in the group stage for the qualifying uh, qualifying stage of the World Cup. The top seeds that get to play the semi-final at home are Italy, Portugal, Russia, Scotland, Sweden and Wales which means that these teams can only meet in the finals if they do. The other teams that are going to be playing are Poland, Macedonia, Turkey, Austria, Czech Republic, and Ukraine. Now, what would be the worst possible draw for Italy? I think Poland or Ukraine, and then Portugal or Sweden in the final. Sweden, simply because it's Sweden. And historically, Sweden got in the way of Italy. Rory, what would be the worst possible draw, do you think? Do you agree with me? Yeah, I think. But the problem is, and this is like, you kind of half talked about it with the European qualification. It's none of those teams are easy. None of those teams you're looking and going, okay, we'll get one. I think maybe Austria would be like a, okay, cool. Right. Yeah, we can do that. But that even that is like slightly dismissive of Austria. They're a very good team. <laughs> like there is no easy draw. I think you're right. Poland would be, I think that's probably the hardest one. And Sweden for psychological reasons would be a nightmare. But even if you play against a team like Macedonia in the semifinal, right? These guys have nothing to lose. No. Like if they don't make it to the World Cup, whatever. Like they try. It's one game. It's one game. So, yeah, you have to win two consecutive games. I just went through our results in the last nine, and it doesn't look good. When are these fi- these games going to be played? The semifinals are going to take place. Well, both the semifinals and the finals are going to take place in March, within a week from each other. Listen on, because during the weekly topic, we are going to talk about the new international calendar proposed by Arsene Wenger. But Rory, let's stay in Europe because England had it much easier than Italy. They are already one of the teams qualified for Qatar 2022. Quickly, take us through it, please. And that's the real quiz. We win, ultimately. We got to the World Cup. Well, it was pretty bloody comfortable for Gareth and his boys eventually. Um, A nice little 10-0 win against San Marino, which I feel like... I, I. I feel sorry for San Marino, and we always have this chat every time. And me and Tom, friend of the show, always end up kind of semi-arguing about this, about whether the teams should have to qualify to 
like pre-qualify. And I'm always very much of the opinion that no, every team has a right to play football. They're a country. They should do it. They should like be there. And then you watch the game and you're like, this is completely and utterly pointless. <laughs> like, what? who is this useful for? Right? So I'm kind of torn between those two sides. But for England, I just like seeing us go hard at a team and be like, no, sod it. We're going to get as many as we can. And we had one or two goals disallowed as well, I think. But, and here comes the Arsenal bias, the most beautiful thing for me was seeing Ramsdale in goal, Emil Smith-Rowe and Bakayo Saka. Smith-Rowe getting his first England goal and assist, Bakayo Saka scoring and getting an assist, Ramsdale getting a clean sheet against San Marino, I know, but a clean sheet. And all of a sudden, England has a bit of an Arsenal feel to it. I really enjoyed it. And the England fans were singing the Smith-Rowe and Saka song, um, which is great to see. Do you know... um, Oh, what are they called? Rocking All Over the World, the band um, Status Quo. No. No? Well, the song is like, rocking all over the world. And it goes like, so the song is now, Sakura and Emil Smith-Rowe. And the England fans were singing it. It was amazing. Great to see. But for England, it was just, we always do this. We, apart from under Steve McLaren, we make qualification look pretty simple. And then we get to the tournament and we disappoint except for the last two. So it's good to see the qualification has been quite simple, straightforward. Lots of new players have been tried by Gareth Southgate, been brought into the squad. So he's definitely like expanding the pool of players. And we're getting to see how deep the pool of players is for England, especially with the with the youngsters. So even Conor Gallagher getting a call up from Crystal Palace, um, Smith Rowe getting called up. So when players do drop out, we have young players that can come in and replace them. So it's like, it really is a really very, very promising group of England players. Um, I'm pretty excited about this World Cup. Honestly, I think the state that the squad's in, I really do feel confident. And I think we have, like I said, we're such a wide pool of players. We could have a genuine shout at it. Um, we'll see how it goes. I'm not saying that three-worded phrase yet. Not until we've got through the group stage. But I feel really confident with this group of players. Do you think you're going to sing that song again during the World Cup? Oh, mate, I'm going to be listening to it two months before the tournament kicks off. You don't understand what that song... learn. You don't understand what that song does to me, mate. It gives me goosebumps every time I listen to it. Like, that is the soundtrack to tournament football. That's it, that song. Like... This makes England one of the European teams already qualified for the World Cup together with Belgium, Croatia. Wow, Belgium again, I wrote it in my notes. (laughs) France, Germany, Netherlands, Spain, Switzerland, and Serbia with an exclamation point. Rory, what did you think when that Mitrovic goal went in? It was, man, that that was incredible. I watched it afterwards, but I was just like, these are the moments I wish I was a professional footballer. God damn it. I love Alexander Mitrovic. The guy is unbelievable. Obviously having a ridiculous season for Fulham in the championship this year. I think he's already on 20 goals this uh, this season. Absolutely crushing it. Now, the storyline here is incredible as well. He missed the penalty against Scotland that meant that they didn't qualify for the Euros, he now yeah. scores the goal that gets them to the World Cup in Lisbon against Ronaldo. The best kind of cherry on the cake was he went back, he went onto the pitch and he was holding that, that a bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Um, now, we're going to add another list, another country to the list of like countries we're going to upset. But 
I really dislike the Portugal national team and have for a very long time. I found it absolutely hilarious that they got shafted that way. I really enjoyed it. I think every time I watch Portugal, they just make me angry. I think they have that annoying mix of being quite a dirty team and falling down every time someone gets within five yards of them. And it makes them really unlikable. So I was really happy that they got they got shafted. And I was even happier that it was Mitrovic who did it. Before we move on to another continent, now here there is a strong argument about the manager, Fernando Santos, because if Italy don't have the superstars uh, to line up in a starting 11, mm-hmm. Portugal definitely do. Like on paper, Portugal are one of the most intimidating teams in world of football. How is it possible that they don't manage to... I mean, Serbia, don't get me wrong, Serbia are a very good team. Just a few names, strong Serie A DNA. We've got Milinkovic-Savic in midfield. We've got Milenkovic in defense. We've got Lukic from Torino, whom I just purchased in fantasy football, um, who had an assist for the first goal. They've got Tadic. They've got Vlaovic, of course, up front. Yeah. They've got Mitrovic and all that. But I mean, Portugal, you've got... Cancelo, you've got Diaz, you've got a very experienced goalkeeper in Rui Patricio, then you've got Renato Sanchez, Cristiano Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva, I mean, Diego Jota, Diego Jota, this team is incredible, how is it possible? So there was an argument on who is the worst manager between Fernando Santos and Oli. (laughs) What do you say, Rory? Fernandez is getting zero coaching no matter where he goes, basically. Fernandez and Ronaldo are just being left. Yeah, alone. and of course I forgot Bruno Fernandez. Yeah, he gets zero <laughs> coaching. It's not like I go to the national team and somebody's gonna train me. Nope, not gonna happen. It's a it's a weird one, right? Because I feel like when Santos won the tournament with Portugal, he made the most of like he made the players more than the sum of their parts. Whereas with this team, he's not been able to. So maybe he's better at getting... Maybe he's not great at managing big players, but he's better. Because I feel like that Portugal squad didn't have as many big names. Like, mm-hmm. the winning goal was by Eder, right? I feel like yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't, like, as star-studded. So maybe he's he can't deal with this squad quite as well. And I, I was reading something that said that his tactics have kind of haven't changed since. And maybe he's been left behind a little bit. Look, Portugal should depending how the draw falls, Portugal will still be thinking, feeling pretty confident about getting through, especially with Ronaldo there. <laughs> They'll definitely feel like they've got a shout. Um, but if they don't qualify, then I can't see him being in the job much longer. Um, like you said, there's arguments he shouldn't be in the job now. So <laughs> he's definitely under pressure. Definitely should, under pressure. Should we make a cheeky prediction, Rory? Who are the three European national teams that are going to make it to the World Cup in the playoffs? I'm going to go through the names again. Italy, Portugal, Russia, Scotland, Sweden, Wales, Poland, Macedonia, Turkey, Austria, Czech Republic, and Ukraine. What do you say on the spot? Boom. I can't believe it's only three. I'm going to say Portugal... Italy and Wales because I predicted wrong for their last game. So I feel like they're going to surprise us and they're going to qualify. Why not? I'm going to say Italy, Portugal, and I'm going to pick an odd name out of the list. I'm going to say out of nowhere. I don't know why. Turkey. They had a terrible European championship. I think this is the time that they step it up and they try to make a statement. But let's... Yeah, Rory, tell me. So before we move continent, there's a few more teams I wanted to talk about. I want to quickly say, and this feels weird, Netherlands qualify, and this means that Van Dijk will be playing in his first ever international tournament. Yeah. that's yeah. Inter- I, When I read that, I was like, wait, what? Oh, sh- 
So, like, that's I think that's a nice story. Holland back, kind of getting back to where they used to be. Van Dijk, first national tournament. And Memphis Depay is only a few goals from becoming the Netherlands' record goal scorer. Like, that guy does not get enough respect. He is a bloody good player. Um, elsewhere, we had Sweden losing to Georgia, and therefore meaning that they ended up in the playoffs, losing 2-0. The player who scored there, FM Wonder Kid, football manager, get it right every single time, I swear to God. When I looked at the name, I was like, I know that name. Oh, shit, it's that guy. So Sweden, massively shit in the bed. Um, and Denmark, finally losing. And it was to Scotland. Scotland, 2-0 beating Denmark. Great to see. And then the last last game I want to talk about is Kazakhstan getting smashed 8-0 by France, which was just... Listeners will know I used to live in Kazakhstan. I do keep an eye out on their results. Every time my phone went off, I was like, not another one. Like seven, eight, Kylian Mbappe got four. So not a good night for the Eagles. But France making light work of it and eliminating Finland. Boo. Big European names that are going to miss out on the World Cup. Erling Haaland from mm. Norway. Edin Dzeko for Bosnia and Herzegovina, Jan Oblak for Slovenia, and Milan Skriniar from Slovakia. These players are not going to punch their ticket for Qatar 2022. Do you think... I think that Haaland and Erdegaard could end up being two of those players that just like are incredible but just never play a tournament. Do you think Norway are actually going to get it together? Well, just wait until FIFA create a new competition for the teams that don't qualify for the World Cup. They're going to create like a mini World Cup for the teams, like a conference World Cup or some shit like that. Also, I'm definitely for that idea. I would watch it. <laughs> Without a doubt, I would watch that. that that's the problem with modern football. <laughs> the fact that Rory, Rory fucks up all the statistics. Like <laughs> Rory is the one who would watch any given competition. But let's move the continents, if you'll allow me. Let's move to South America where there are two other teams that have already qualified mathematically for the World Cup, and that's, of course, Brazil and Argentina, undefeated still in the World Cup qualifiers. They actually played each other the other night. I don't know if you saw that video of the line, not even to get in the stadium, but just to get the tickets for the game. It was insane. It was like five kilometers of cars and people (laughs) on foot. It was ridiculous. And... Despite it being a nil-nil draw, there were a few plays that really stood out. One was a... Now I don't know how you call it in English. God, I'm going to make a fool of myself. Did you see that play by Vinicius Jr. on the touchline? Oh, the rainbow flick. Oh, rainbow flick. Thank you very much for not making me explain what it was. (laughs) I would have made a fool of myself. The rainbow flick, that was awesome. And And then there was a beautiful Di Maria nutmeg and seven yellow cards, just to make it (laughs) classic. All the more interesting. But there are still four games to go. And as it stands, Brazil and Argentina are already qualified. And in third place, ladies and gentlemen, Ecuador. Now, this is exciting. They have a fine margin, but not even that fine. They're on 23 points, followed by Colombia at 17. Now, the Colombian press has absolutely destroyed two players that have made the headlines every single weekend in Serie A last year. One still does. The other one is definitely out of shape. 
Zapata and Muriel. Now, mm. Colombia haven't scored a single goal in five games. Oh, my Four nil-nil draws and one loss. They are currently on fourth, but Peru are on even points in fifth position. They are looking in shape. They have won their last two, a 3-0 victory against Bolivia, and then a 2-1 victory away at Venezuela, followed by Chile. Now, Chile lose after three consecutive wins. And here, unfortunately, we have to mention a criminal red card from Inter player Vidal. This guy doesn't seem to understand the fine line that there is between playing competitively and playing like an absolute criminal. Um, I mean, I saw the red card and I was just like, man, if there was something worse than a red card, I would have given it to him. It's just very high stretched leg towards the chin of a player who's trying to get a header. I mean, Arturo, you've been in the game for a long time. You should learn how to control your emotions, especially because this red card came after only 11 minutes of play. Followed, following Chile in seventh position is Uruguay, another very good national team, in my opinion. A lot of interesting names in their team, but they have no wins over the last five games, and they've managed to score only two goals. There are still four games to play. It's going to be tied for their third fourth and fifth spot the fifth spot goes to the intercontinental playoff we shall see how that unfolds rory if we have nothing more to say in south america i'm ready to hear everything about the qualifiers in africa in afcon it all kicked off the mental last day matchups all kind of yeah, there was a lot of big teams missing out, and there's a lot of big teams that are going to be there. So the teams that have qualified through top of the group, we have Algeria. Now, they were up against Burkina Faso, who was second. They drew 2 all with Burkina Faso, but that means that Algeria go top, but Burkina Faso kind of dropped points along the way and just kind of petered out. Mares scoring one in that final game to put Algeria in to the playoffs. Then we had the big game. Cameroon versus Ivory Coast. Cameroon winning 1-0. Akambi, the player from Lyon, getting the goal. This means that Ivory Coast will miss out on the World Cup again. Um, their players, even before this game, were talking about boycotting the World Cup because of the human rights record, etc. Well, now they're definitely boycotting it. But it's a shame to see that Ivory Coast won't be there. Nicolas Pepe, Frank Kessier, etc. will not be at the World Cup. I feel always a shame for Ivory Coast, but Cameroon getting there quite efficiently. Then we have Nigeria drew one all with Cape Verde. Osimhen scoring in the first minute. Cape mm-hmm. Verde equalizing in the fifth and then nothing else happened. That meant that Nigeria finished top of the group. They had Tunisia. They went through as they beat Zambia 3-1. Egypt have qualified, have been qualified for a while. Ghana, they qualified on goal, on goals scored, finishing above South Africa, they scored one more goal because they beat South Africa 1-0 uh, with an Andre Ayew penalty. So South Africa really unlucky to miss out on a World Cup again. But Ghana getting there. To be honest, it would feel really weird, a World Cup without Ghana. They're not quite there yet, but they are in the playoffs. Then we have Senegal, Morocco and Congo all finishing top. Congo with a team that I'm going to say they're going to be a surprise package. Now, they've had a few players for a while coming through. A few, I think, play in the championship in England, play in France. I think this is a team that could really surprise a few teams in the playoffs. 
But yeah, it's going to be exciting in AFCON. So it's going to be uh, two-legged playoffs for them. So they do get a chance to play home and away. Obviously, the five teams that win go through to the tournament. I'm just, I'm just upset that Ivory Coast aren't going to be there. But you would expect the big boys, Cameroon, Nigeria, Senegal, to still be there. It depends how the gay, how the ties kind of fall. Yeah, no Nabi Keita, Obama Young, or Frank Kessi mm-hmm. at the 2022 World Cup. And there was another headline uh, about DR Congo. Now, DR doesn't stand for doctor. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Congo? My, Dr. Congo. That was my nickname when I did the MUN, the Model United Nations for my high school. So <laughs> what is the Model United Nations? It's basically a simulation of the United Nations and how it works. It was a super interesting project. I did it over three years three years in high school. You were assigned a random country, mm-hmm. uh, and then you would be part of a committee. One year, I was actually, all three years, I was an African state. I was Nigeria, DR Congo, and then another state, but I don't remember okay. which one. But the, there is a great picture of me, you know, dressed up in a suit and everything with sunglasses nice. on. And in front of me, it says DR Congo. And that was my nickname, <laughs> Dr. Congo. But no, the Democratic Republic of Congo made the headlines because they mathematically qualify for the World Cup of 2022. But listen up, ladies and gentlemen, their manager, Hector Cooper, Serie A legend, mm. screws up by substituting players in four different slots during the game against Benin. Benin made a complaint, and the latest news is that FIFA have accepted the complaint and they are going to analyze the situation. And the, the worst thing that could happen is that they won't qualify, they won't attend Qatar 2022. Shit. Uh, right? Damn it, Dr. Congo. What were you doing? Hector Cooper, not heard that name in a very long time. A very <laughs> long time. And then we just have to say for our American friends that the United States absolutely dominated against Mexico, winning 2-0. Christian Pulisic wearing a shirt that said the man in the mirror because Mm -hmm. apparently the Mexico goalkeeper Ochoa had said that... uh, I, I don't really remember the quote, but like the, the United States look at Mexico as mm-hmm. if they were in a mirror and that's the team that they try to emulate. I think it was pretty good banter. And they love that Pulisic then said, look, I don't want to talk too much about it. It was just banter. They, he said that quote, this is my clap back and that's it. I'm going to give you one talking point, Tommy. So I'm going to give you a quiz, right? No shit, which I'm team, bad at those. <laughs> which team, in which national team in 2021 has scored the most goals. Which national team has scored the most goals? Yeah, in 2021, in this calendar year, has scored the most goals. Definitely not Italy. Um, (laughs) Is it England with the 10 goals against San Marino? No. Now, I'm going to take you through the top five, but number one is Canada. Canada has scored the most goals in 2021 with 55 goals in 19 games. Now, the top five are Canada with 55, England with 51, with second, Germany with 50, Netherlands with 46, and Denmark with 45. Now, why am I saying this? Because Canada beat Mexico as well. It's been a bad week for the Mexicans, a bad international group. And that puts Canada top of the CONCACAF, I think I said that right, the CONCACAF group. Now, there's still a lot of games to be played. They're one point ahead of the USA on 16 points. And they could make it to their first World Cup since 1986. Their first and only World Cup where they played three games, 
lost three games, scored zero, and conceded five. They were in a group with the Soviet Union, France, and Hungary. So I just want to say there's something going on in Canada. There is a, a football nation emerging. We know they've got Alfonso Davies, Kyle Larin. They've got um, the guy whose name, Jonathan David. There you go. Um, they've got a bit of a squad coming together, and maybe there's going to be a third horse in the CONCACAF race. And I wouldn't it be great to see Canada make it to a World Cup? It would be great. However, I have to say that eight teams in a group and the first three make it and the fourth goes to the intercontinental playoffs. I think that South Americans look at these criteria <laughs> and they're just like, what the actual fuck? Like, couldn't you split us into two groups? I think there are, we're going to talk about one reform over the weekly topic, but I think there are more reforms uh, to take a look at. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's, look, there's always ways. There's always uh, ways to improve anything, right? And you should always be looking at ways to improve things. Um, I think with the Concacaf and with Oceania and stuff like that, these kind of like minor, uh, I want to say, without being rude, kind of organizations, it's, it's difficult to get the numbers right and get the qualification right. But before we leave Concacaf, you have to check out Mikel Antonio scoring an absolute banger for Jamaica. And the even better bit is the striker who follows after he scores, the ball comes back. And one of the teammates tries to like knock it into the goal and just completely skies it and falls over. Definitely find that clip. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. I don't think, Rory, unless you, unless, I don't know, you got into it. I don't think we're going to talk about the Asian qualifications yet. Um, I honestly tried to sit down today and watch a video um, and to explain it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do this another day. Another day. We'll, we'll come at it when it's closer to the end. Like, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. The only thing I'm going to say about the Asian qualifiers, there is one team that unfortunately is definitely not going to make it to the World Cup. It's Vietnam. But I just Damn want it. to take you through their starting 11 or during their last game against Saudi Arabia, which they lost 1-0. In goal, we've got Mr. Bui. In defense, Do, Ke, and Nguyen. Remember this third name. In midfield, we've got Van Tan Hu. Then we've got Nguyen, Nguyen, and Nguyen. And up front, we've got a deadly trio, Nguyen, Lin, and Nguyen. So I would have loved to see them at the World Cup just for the commentary. Long ball by Nguyen. Nguyen dribbles past the player. Long ball for Nguyen. Lays it off for Nguyen. Back heel, what an incredible player. Nguyen, through pass for Nguyen. Goal! It would have been incredible. I love it. I love Incredible. It. <laughs> it's a, and actually, when I think about it, I know three Vietnamese people and two out of the three, their last name is Nguyen. If there are any Vietnamese listeners, what's the deal with Nguyen? What does it mean? Why is it the most popular last name in Vietnam? We definitely don't know. It's, all, it's also a character in uh, Bojack, Bojack Horseman. It's Diane Nguyen. Yeah, Which, yeah, yeah. When I watched, I never finished watching Bojack Horseman. Shame on of, you, Tommy. But I kind of fell in love with Miss Nguyen. I was yeah, just like, incredible. oh, <laughs> if, I would, if, if I was a cartoon, I would definitely tap that. Let's move on. Uh, nice little leeway. Rory, you were talking about Mexico not having a great week, an inter not a great international break. And there is one player that, as we would say in Italy, kind of pissed out of the toilet. That player is Mr. Hirving Lozano. Now, Lozano plays for Napoli. And if there is one city in Italy that takes things extremely personally, that's Napoli. So if you play, if you play for Napoli, you definitely don't want to go in front of an interviewer and say, 
look, I think that I'm at the best shape of my life. I like playing at Napoli, but I feel ready to make the step for a big club. Oh, uh, my God. He had to backtrack <laughs> all of that and say... You need to move house now. Move yeah, house now. He, he backtracked that. I like Hirving. He's in my fantasy football squad. I think he's a very good player and mm-hmm. arguably is not getting the minutes he deserves in Napoli because Politano and Insigne are before him in the Napoli hierarchies. He tried to backtrack that. And with an Instagram post, I read it. It was heartfelt. It said, sometimes my words are misunderstood. Then I went online and I looked for the interview and his words were not misunderstood. <laughs> he said exactly what he said. And It's the classic excuse. Oh, it's a bad translation. It's a bad translation. No, 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 nope. no, no. Don't blame the poor translator. Come on. Exactly. It's not at all a bad translation. Nice little leeway because club football is back this very weekend. And Rory, if you let me, I will start with Serie A. It all kicks off this very Saturday. What games do we have on? Atalanta Spezia at 3 p.m. And then we've got Lazio, Juventus, ladies and gentlemen, at 6 p.m. Now, Lazio, of course, they cannot rely on Immobile because he's out injured. And also Juventus are going through a pretty bad period with injuries. Bernardeschi, Chiellini and Dybala are all going to be out. Now, this is an important game. Juventus are sitting eighth with 18 points and Lazio are fifth with 21. This means that if Juventus were to win this away game, they would catch the Bianco Celesti in fifth position. Then, of course, goal difference would come in as well. And to top off the Saturday, it's a pretty exciting game. Fiorentina-Milan. Now, if I was a Milan fan or if I was a Napoli fan, we'll get to that. Uh, these are the games that I would worry about because AC Milan, as you know, are still undefeated. Actually, AC Milan and Napoli are the only undefeated teams in Europe's top five leagues, believe it or not. Fiorentina cannot rely on Pulgar, Martinez Quarta, or Milenkovic. They're all out injured. And oh, the crap, same... He's in my fantasy. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I, I picked up another centre-back. I know. And Calabria, <laughs> Ballo, and of course, goalkeeper Mignan are all out for AC Milan. Why do I say that I would worry? Because usually when you're undefeated for so long, that loss, that defeat is just waiting behind the corner. Can Fiorentina win this game against AC Milan? Look, Fiorentina are a good team. They haven't still managed to slay any big, big clubs this season, but may, except Atalanta, actually. But this could be the moment to make a statement. Uh, I think that uh, Vlaovic is going to have a good game after qualifying with his national team for the World Cup. That's it for Saturday. Let's move on to Sunday. It all kicks off at 12.30 Central European time, of course, with Sassuolo Cagliari. Can Cagliari finally win their second game of the season and get out of the relegation zone? It's followed by Bologna-Venezia at 3 p.m., Salernitana-Sampdoria at 3 p.m., and, whoops, Rory, I thought the game was at 8.45. <laughs> just but seen it's that actually... kickoff time and I was like, Tommy lied to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually at 6 p.m. Inter-Napoli, there is a reason why it's going to be at 6 p.m. So whenever uh, there are problems between the supporters of two mm-hmm. clubs during a game in Italy, the Italian government decides to move that game to either 12.30 p.m. or 6 p.m. Because notably, 
no people are going to beat up each other or throw bombs at each other at 12.30 or at 6 p.m. Just so uncivilized. That's, that's yeah, uncivilized. Right? It's a, you, you just become a beast when you play at 8.45, right? <laughs> and Rory, we are finally going to go to the Curva. So after yeah, that, after this is going to be great. After embarrassing ourselves with families and whatnot during the inter-sheriff game, we are back to where we belong. We will be able to drink and do all the things that we like to do at the stadium. Um, well, Tommy, I am not singing any songs about cholera. I refuse. No, not about cholera. But, not about cholera, but, but the other songs. Come on. The, can, can you sing the one about Vesuvio? To wash them with you fire. You can sing it. I might. It, it depends how many beers I've had. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna rule it out. Well, the last time, remember that the last time we went to the stadium, Rory and I were assigned the task to go get, quote, a few beers for the mates, and we came back with 15 beers. So I don't think things are gonna go that differently this weekend. <laughs> Inter Napoli, Bastoni, and Darmian maybe will be playing. They they've both gone through injuries, but they should uh, be uh, played during this game. Who is definitely not going to play is Stefan De Vrij, who picked up a muscular injury with the Netherlands over the international break, and the Zeko might be out as well. This shouldn't be a problem for Mister Inzaghi since Correa and Lautaro are both going to be available for the game. They're already flying back to Italy. It all wraps up at eight forty-five. PM on Sunday night with Genoa Roma. This is going to be Shevchenko's first game in charge of Genoa. And man, it's going to be a tough one because Captain Crescito is out injured, and so are Genoa's two strikers, Caicedo and Destro. So <laughs> Shevchenko can, he, is... can he play himself? Is he going to get himself on the pitch? Of course, that joke that joke came about quite a bit already on social media, but it's looking difficult. He's going to have to really come up with an interesting idea for the game, and then we have one last uh, two uh, two more games on Monday at six thirty p.m. Central European Time. Elas Verona take on Serie A revelation of this year, Empoli. And if you look at the standings, both teams have been doing pretty well. So Verona are actually on 10th with 16 points and Empoli are also at 16 points on 11th position. So this is uh, going to be an interesting game between two teams who have definitely so far surpassed the expectations of many Serie A fans. And then Torino-Udinese at 8.45 p.m. Rory, I'm ready to go to the Premier League, but first, I just want to say one thing about Italian and the Sassuolo striker, Mr. Scamacca. You might remember <laughs> this name because last year, his father... Uh, do you remember the story about Scamacca's father going to the Rome's training ground? That was him, right? W- yeah, with yeah, an yeah. iron bar, yep. Oh, so yeah. last year, Scamacca's father, Scamacca, grew up in the Roma youth system. His father was apparently drunk and he jumped the fence of the Roma training ground and he smashed a few windshields with an iron bar. He was arrested, of course, for this thing. He had to pay a big fine and two windshields. But the, the, the news about Kamaka's family don't stop coming. And last night, his grandfather was arrested by the Italian police after drunkenly threatening a man with a knife 
at a bar <laughs> in Rome. So if the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, make sure you follow Skamaka on social media because I think that the next crazy shit is going to come from the man himself, Gianluca. <laughs> now I'm fully ready to go to the Premier League, Rory. Take us through it. Let's go to the Premier League. It is back and it starts on Saturday. <laughs> Rory just past... punched the air right there. It is Yeah, <laughs> half past one on Saturday. We've got Leicester City taking on Chelsea in what seems like will be a tricky game, but probably will be quite routine for Chelsea. Leicester is a team that at the moment cannot convert their chances. Chelsea are a team that convert all of their chances. It's going to be an interesting one. I think Chelsea still have quite a few injuries. Lukaku isn't quite back yet. I think Havertz is, uh, has an injury from international break. But we know Tuchel, the team's well-coached. I expect Chelsea to get a comfortable win here. But you never know with the Foxes. We shall see. Then on Saturday, we have... We have quite a few managers making a debut this weekend. Um, so we have Newcastle, Eddie Howe taking charge of the tune against Brentford. A pretty difficult team to come in against. Um, we will see how they get on. Will they have the new manager bounce? They are still looking for their first win of the season. Now would be a very good time. That is also on Saturday at three o'clock. We have Burnley versus Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace in great form under Patrick Vieira. Burnley starting to kind of try and pull themselves away from that relegation battle. So this could be an interesting game. I'm going to back the Eagles to keep soaring here. Um, then we have Steven Gerrard, Stevie La, making his, uh, his debut as Aston Villa manager as they take on your favorite team, Tommy, the Seagulls. Come on, boys. Aston Villa, of course, not won a game in quite a long time. Now five games without a win, so it is key that Gerard gets the team going quickly. We talked about him briefly on the last episode. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Brighton are not going to make it easy for him, though. Then, again, on Saturday at 3 o'clock, we have, I think, one of the biggest games of the weekend in terms of this could set the narrative of the weekend so much. I'm sorry, Watford. Sorry, before we move on, do you think there could be a resemblance between uh, Prince Harry and Graham Potter? Oh, that's a good shout. That's not a bad shout. That's that's actually, yeah, Let that maybe sink a in. little bit. Let that sink in. Sorry, maybe a little bit. Going. I did see quite. A, I did see a thing this week, and it was quite. It was a funny comment, and it was quite harsh. But Graham Potter did this thing where they spent a night homeless for charity, and it was like this really nice thing. But then someone just commented, "Is it weird that Graham Potter just fits in?" And it's just him with his beard and his sleeping bag in the street. And you're like, oh, he just kind of looked like he belongs there a little and bit. And that's and that's the thing because I saw the picture on Seagulls Social, my favorite banter page, yeah, yeah. football banter page, on Instagram. And I didn't understand if it was a meme and they were playing on the resemblance between Prince Harry and Graham Potter. Then I was like, there is no way that Prince Harry is in England right now uh, feeding the homeless. <laughs> yeah, and he's so not allowed like, back now. <laughs> Shit, they kind of look alike. But sorry, Rory, I big time interrupted you. You were taking us through the Watford game. Sorry. Yeah, so the game that could set the narrative for the whole weekend, if it goes one way, is Watford taking on Manchester United on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Ranieri, can he pile the music? Like the amount of pressure on Ollie for this game is insane. If they do not get three points against Watford, that's not an there's no excuse for that anymore. Like that is huge. You know, Harry Maguire getting two goals in two for England, doing the 
fingers in his ears, cup in his ears celebration. The fucking who, idiot. Who, who was that <laughs> pundit that absolutely Roy destroyed Keen. him? Roy Keane. Just follow, follow out of context Roy Keane. It is fantastic. He just eviscerates people and he eviscerated Harry Maguire. But hey, two goals in two. He's got a point to prove. Can he actually defend? We will find out. I think Ranieri is going to prove a bit of a banana skin here for the Red Devils, or at least I hope they are. Um, Then we have Wolves versus West Ham again on Saturday at three o'clock. Wolves in really good form, um, finding themselves all the way up in eighth above Tottenham. Um, and they've really had quite an impressive season under their new manager, Huang, catching all the headlines there. West Ham, we've talked about, up in third after that massive win against Liverpool. Can they go into second? Can they go into second for a few hours at least if they manage to beat Wolves? Then we go on to Sunday where we have... Oh, no, finally, Sorry. We still have more games on Saturday. Bloody hell, we have Norwich against uh, Southampton. This is Dean Smith leaving Aston Villa, getting in the car, driving down south and going straight to Norwich City to make to take charge of his first game for the Canaries as they take on Southampton at home. I think, now I read this somewhere, he's going to take charge against the same team in consecutive games for different teams and he's the first manager to do it. So I think Aston Villa's last game was against Southampton and now this game, his first game is Norwich City against Southampton. Weird little thing there. I think Dean Smith is a really good appointment for Norwich. They they nearly went for Frank Lampard. I think that would have been like the big name appointment. Um, But Dean Smith has actually got experience in relegation battles, experience in the championship, which I feel is going to be useful for Norwich. So I think that's actually a good appointment. Then finally on Saturday, Tommy, I'm so nervous about this game. We go to Anfield where the inform Arsenal are taking on the slightly struggling Liverpool. And is it bad that I feel slightly optimistic? Man, if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be feeling optimistic. I think it's time that also the Arsenal players start feeling the positivity coming from the fans. Arsenal fans, I'm not talking about yourself, but Arsenal fans are notably very pessimistic. It would be a shame to go into this game saying, oh shit, we're going to be battered. You guys haven't lost in 133 games, so I don't see why you should lose this one, <laughs> right? Uh, it's actually well, nine, I, I think, yeah, ten games, ten games. I did ten see games, a thing. I did see a thing of like um, it was a meme of United fans like we lost five 0 to Liverpool. Oh my god! Then it was like the Arsenal fans. It was like um, can't wait for Arsenal's battering at Anfield. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> like, and the Arsenal fans are just kind of going into it with no pressure. Like, yeah, it's going to be hilarious. Let's Look, I'm going to call it right um, now. It's going to be a draw. It's going to be a 2-2 draw. And uh, Arsenal are going to play a good game, I think. I think, again, that uh, I really respect the Arsenal board for giving Arteta the time he deserved. Mm-hmm. And as we've covered extensively over the pod, I think that the results of his work are starting to show. I, I, it does. It does seem that way. Um, now, the only bad thing is the last time we beat, the last time we won at Anfield was in 2012, I think, and Arteta was playing. Um, Podolski and Cazorla got the goal. So it has been a very long time since we won at Anfield. But Liverpool have got quite a lot of injuries. We're playing good football. We're playing well. They've been wobbling a little bit. Famous last words. They're going to batter us. But I do feel quite optimistic. That is definitely the game of the weekend. Then on Sunday. We go to, oh God, I'm clicking all the wrong tabs. Sunday, we have Man City taking on Everton at two o'clock. Everton going through a really tough run of form at the moment, but Man City obviously just 
powering on through. I think this game's only really going to go one way with it being at the Etihad. And then the game of the day, I'm going to say, is Tottenham taking on Leeds United at half past four. Can Antonio Conte make Spurs have a shot on target? That is his that is his goal. Have a shot on target. Now I think this game might as well be, if it wasn't for Arsenal Liverpool, might as well be the game of the mm. weekend. Two very experienced managers. And they think that this is the first game where we can really try and assess a bit of Conte's work at Tottenham. Mm-hmm. He's been there for some time now. There has been the international break. A bunch of players didn't join their national teams. The others are back already. So I think it's going to be the first game where we're going to really get an idea of what Conte can do with Tottenham. I think it's going to be an exciting one. Well, the interesting thing as well is that Harry (laughs) Kane... The interesting thing as well is that like Harry Kane has been in incredible form for England. Okay, granted against, you know, San Marino. But it will be interesting to see if he takes a bit of that confidence back into Tottenham or if he just puts in half-arsed shifts again. We'll see which way it goes. But you're right. I think this manager matchup, I'm not sure if Conte and Bielsa have ever faced each other before, but I think it'll be a really interesting, um, yeah, for Conte, if there's any manager that's not going to make it easy, it's going to be Bielsa. Like, But Conte knows how he's going to play. When Conte has time to prepare for games, he usually does really well. So it's going to be an interesting one. But I'm going to say Leeds get something here. I think Leeds are going to get something. They're starting to find form. They've got their important players coming back. Come on, Leeds. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. And of course, it's also Champions League week, but we're going to cover that on Monday night during our Euro review, which didn't air last week because I was traveling and Rory was knackered after two hours on Sunday night with a football manager. For the first time, the project has kicked off. Rory, very quickly before we jump to the weekly topic, how did that go? What's the project all about? Uh, (laughs) I had the worst transfer window in my entire career of fo- playing football manager i completely shat the bed i now officially hate danny alves and i'm going in to try and win the scudetto with a squad that is definitely not good enough and um, so check that out on youtube a few audio issues i apologize they those will be ironed out i clicked the wrong bloody box but it was good i really enjoyed it we're going in to play roma for this save is going to be the first game back in the first game we managed to draw Nil-nil with Atalanta at home and 1-1 with Napoli away. So I was quite happy with that. A difficult start to the season, but we did all right. Oh, we beat Pordenone 5-0. Boom, take that. And Rory, I feel like I haven't kind of, I haven't really previewed the importance of the Inter game this weekend. Inter yeah, we take on undefeated Napoli. Uh, we have lost only one game against the Lazio. De Vrij is not going to be playing. Zeko is not going to be playing. Napoli can rely on all of their forces. Oziman scoring for his national team. What do you predict? It's going to be a great game. It's going to be a really great game. I don't know which way it's going to go. I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. I get the feeling, uh, if you had to push me, I'd say Napoli nick it, and I'm not sure why. What does it mean, naked? They they they, like they just steal it. They just steal the win. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be what kind of reception? Uh, I'm going to ask myself what kind of reception, Tommaso. Do you think that Spalletti is going mm. to receive? I think he's going to receive a great, great welcome back to the San Siro. He's the man that took us to the Champions League for the first time after God knows how long. I think the entire stadium is going to stand up and applaud him. Mm. Inter needs to win this game. We haven't slayed any Giants yet this season. We were almost there with Juventus, but we didn't do it. So I think this is really the opportunity. If we want to cut that lead, we need to win this type of Mm -hmm. games. 
Actually, you know what? If I was a betting man, but I'm not, I would bet on Fiorentina getting points against AC Milan, either a draw or a win, and Napoli losing to Inter. That would be an interesting accumulator for you bettors, but don't take my words for gold, because I'm not a betting man. Uh, I gave that up a long time ago after punching the wall one too many times. (laughs) But Rory, are you ready to jump to the weekly topic? I'm ready. I'm ready to finally criticize a man I hold so dearly in my heart. Shall we discuss Arsene Wenger and his international calendar? And here we are. It's time for the weekly topic. It's going to be a quick one this week, guys, but we are going to, you know, quick concise, to the point, entertaining. That's what we do best, right? We never go over our time slot, so we will be fine. And never. we are here. Never. <laughs> we are here to talk about Arsene Wenger, Le Professeur, and his new plan for the international calendar. Now, I'm going to quickly explain to you what his idea is, and then we'll talk about why we think it's good, terrible, all right. Right? So, here we go. There is option A. Now, this option would mean that the season would kick off in August and and draw to a close in June, and there would be just one international break that would last for four weeks in October. So this would mean that the breaks in September, November, and March would be scrapped, and international competitions will take place in June, and then July would be the month that is mandatory for players to have rest. That is option A. In option B, the season would kick off in August and end in May, But in the meantime, there will be a three-week international break in October and a two-week one in March. International tournaments will be held in June and July would be the month of rest for footballers. Now, Tommy, your first reactions to those plans? Well, the first reaction is nice because Mm -hmm. these three international breaks in September, October and November are a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. They are all next to each other and then... You could argue that meeting up more often helps create an identity for the playing style of every national team, but then they're not going to meet until March. So why have them meet in September, October, and November, and then wait all that time and meet again in March? So it doesn't really make sense. It creates an annoying break in league football. And again, here, I think, Roy, this is your point of view as well. You'll tell me if I'm right or wrong. We don't necessarily prefer club football to international no, football, no, not really. nor not the really. opposite. Mm-hmm. We think that both are very important. There are some supporters that are only about club, some supporters that are only about international football, and the majority of supporters who are about both. I think that we are about both. We both love seeing our club play and our international team play. But I think that these three international breaks, they break up the, the, the club season way too mm-hmm. much and especially September, October, November, right after the other. So the first impression is sweet. Why not? What do you think? Yeah, I think overall it makes a lot of sense. It does make sense. There's less breaks in the league, and therefore there's more continuity. Knowing that October is that kind of season break and just having it defined would be great. And I think it does make much more sense. Um, I think... Now, Southgate made a really interesting point about this, and I thought it was, um, he said, so what if a player is injured for that period? They just play no international football that year, and therefore they're kind of losing their international career. So it's like there are other sides to the coin, but I think for the 
like the money maker really is the leagues, right? That's where the money's made. The international football, as much as I love international football, I think it shouldn't take priority. I think the priority should be the club football. And I think this plan makes more sense for club football. Um, there was also another great point. I kind of, I stole all this from reading, but the amount of traveling that players do, right? So there's... Right. When I first read it, Arsene Wenger said it would help climate change. I was like, oh, Arsene, you can't just throw that word in and be like, oh, it'll do that as well. Like, But then I actually carried on reading. I was like, oh, that's a very fair point. So, like, players compared, like, how much they've traveled, right? So here we go. FIFA estimated that Lionel Messi traveled about 324,000 kilometers between 2014 and 2018, Right. In the same period, Costa Rica international Brian Ruiz made as many as 377,000 kilometers, right? Harry Kane, 40,000, right? So not only do the players travel vastly different amounts depending on where you're from, and therefore that affects fitness, that affects the amount of games you can play, it affects so many things. It's also the amount of long-haul flights that are being used. And these aren't... They're not jumping on like Ryanair. These are like chartered planes, if you know what I mean. This is a whole separate thing. So it's like it would help the environment and it would help the players as well. Like just reducing the amount of travel, I think, is a good idea. You know what would also help the environment? If all the politicians who attended the COP26 in Scotland didn't fly there with their own private jets and drove from the airport to there with a private limousine, that could also make a difference, I think. Well, that's very true. For them to, yeah, and Biden with his 60-car bloody uh, parade down the motorway. Yeah, yeah obviously. No, yeah. Sorry, just had to say that. Just no, had to no, say of course. That, that of looked course. ridiculous, in my opinion. But I think it's another kind of aspect to it that I think actually is a really good point. Um but for the calendar, yeah, I think it's a good plan. I think so far I'm with Wenger on this plan. The only thing, and I think this might be the thing that concerned you as well, Tommy, right, was right on. Yep. the biennial tournaments, right? Now, the, the, the explanation he gave I found really infuriating because he said it's only over 50s who, are, who want the tournaments to remain as four years. Awesome, I'm only 32, but thank you. Um, and then it seemed like he was just blaming it on millennials. He was just like, oh, young people want it to be more often. So therefore, it needs to be more often. Like, bloody millennials. Can you have some concentration span, please? And <laughs> just think about four years. Yeah, and also a 74-year-old uh, being the spokesperson for millennials. That just sounds funny. Mm. Another thing that we are referring to the same article, uh, but the other thing that was funny was the poll. Out of a poll that we've conducted, it was a poll of 100 people. Come on, guys! <laughs> yeah. like, one, you can, you couldn't do any better because I'm sure that if you did a well-planned survey on the FIFA website where people have to put their email address or whatever, so you can guarantee that pers- people vote only once. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that if you had a poll of 10,000 people, that would be more interesting. 100 people. Who are these 100 people? Only one people voted against, right? <laughs> who the fuck are these people? It's I did get the vibe. family, right? I, well, it, I got the vibe. It was like, of my 100 employees who answer to me and their job depends on my opinion of them, they all agree with my plan, except that one guy who, by chance, no longer works here. I got that vibe from it massively. Like, yeah, I did think. He said 99% of 100. I was like, 
So 99. So 99, right? Like, it's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Make a serious poll. I want to vote in that poll. I wasn't asked anything, right? Every football podcast should have one vote. What about that? That would be interesting. I think that's absolutely fair. But so we, we can agree that this is a terrible idea. Why do we think it's a terrible idea? I like that a World Cup is only four years. It keeps it special. I uh, I think it would be really awful for like statistics to be twisted on old players. Can you imagine like how often like all of a sudden players could win four World Cups, five World Cups, and it would just suddenly make Pele look terrible. And it would make these players that have achieved great things. It would really distort the stats, which I know isn't the most important thing, but I think it's another thing to consider. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but I like that you have to wait four years. I like that it's like a big anticipation. And when it comes, you're like, oh, this is like the best month I'm going to have for four years. And it just feels so special. I agree with you. There are two things to consider. So one thing would tell me, uh, suggests that I'm in favor and the other thing suggests that I'm against it. So I would be in favor thinking of bad luck. So a player who misses out on a mm-hmm. World Cup because of okay. a bad injury, that could be the, namely, uh, I mean, there, there were players like Vieri who missed out mm-hmm. on the 2006 World Cup that was his last chance. If we had had another World Cup in 2008, maybe it would have been part of that. Now, I think about this because um, my friend, he, I used to go to elementary school with him. We played basketball together. Gianmarco Tamberi, he won the gold this summer in mm. high jump. He missed out in Rio in 2014 because he was injured. And all of a sudden, you're just like, man, now you have one chance only in your mm-hmm. lifetime to win a gold at the Olympics. But hey, that's at the end of the day, I think that's what sports are. Sometimes they are unfair, right? Mm-hmm. On the other side, I think also that the beauty of the World Cup is that there is a lot of anticipation. It's every four years. And also it allows for the team to almost not completely change, but for cycles mm-hmm. to be shorter. So you have to make a statement in that World Cup. Otherwise, some of you won't have a chance in four mm-hmm. years. And so... Overall, I think that I'm not in favor of Actually, I'm definitely not in favor of it. Mm-hmm. And I like the World Cup every four years, which allows for the Euro to be... So every two summers, you have either the Euro mm-hmm. or the World Cup. It's always been like that. I like it. We are not against the change, but I, I'm, I'm in favor of change when it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The only reason behind this is to make more money. And uh, thinking that Qatar was awarded the World Cup, it would make me think that a lot of other hmm, odd states would mm-hmm. be awarded the World Cup if it was every two years. What do you think? Well, this is it. And I, it is, it's definitely a, like a move in the more cynical direction, if you know what I mean. It is only for money. It is to try and compete with the club game. Look, what I find really funny about this is that Arsene Wenger was always, always vocal when he was manager of Arsenal about players playing too much football, about international mm-hmm. breaks being a pain in the arse, about mm-hmm. his players having to travel too far. And I'm like, Arsene, I think not often are you a hypocrite. My, other people might disagree with me on that one, but I think not often is he a hypocrite, but I think this one is a pretty big slice of hypocrisy. Like when you try and remember what you went through as a manager and what you used to complain about, why now do you think it's okay? It's, I don't know, it's it's a really weird one. I think the, would the Euros have to be every two years as well? Like, would they have to shift or would the Euros be four years? That hasn't really been mentioned. That hasn't really been mentioned. Um, only the World Cup has been mentioned. By the way, another person who 
when he was a club manager, was very vocal about international breaks was Roberto Mancini when he was Inter Milan's <laughs> coach. Um, I remember a big rant in the press conference room about players coming back all injured. He had to play a game with all substitutions. And right now, after we didn't qualify directly for the World Cup, he was just like, we need more time. We need more time. We need to meet up more often. And it's just like, ah, Roberto, how quickly you forget, you little... Filthy animal, but look, I think the the also if we talk, uh, this is was this was one of the earlier points that I touched on. If we're thinking about team identity, I think that you can build more of an identity with only two breaks of four weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than having yeah, yeah. three separate breaks and everything. So overall, what do we think, Rory? What is the Anglo-Italian pod's final opinion of this uh, modest proposal by Arsene Wenger? I think the calendar is a good idea. The structure of the international breaks is a very good idea. The biennial tournament is not a good idea. How likely do you think it is to happen? I don't know, man. I really don't know. But I think it's highly likely. Uh, there mm. is, uh, I think that the interest is there. If it, if it came to, like, if, if it got to publishing it, it means that the interesting is there. Well, and, and the thing is, we say all this, but if World Cups are every two years, we're going to watch those World Cups. If you know and, what I mean, I'm not going to be like, I'm only watching the ones on the, like, what would have been the traditional years. We we are going to watch it. So the market is there. So I think it is incredibly likely. But I also think maybe, you know, like, people push out a plan and they ask for too much, like negotiating, right? You ask for too much, expecting to lose something so that you actually get what you want. I yeah. think we maybe we could just get the changed calendar. That's maybe a too optimistic of you, but I kind of hope that's what happens. But yeah, I think maybe because the market's there to watch it, it's kind of unavoidable. Much like the Super League, we're just waiting for that to come back, right? Yeah, and I, I have to say one thing, Rory, I don't know about you, but last year we were very vocal. The Anglo-Italian pod is not going to cover Qatar 2022 because of all the human rights abuse mm -hmm. and everything. But now that the competition is approaching, I cannot really see this pod not covering Qatar. I think all we can do... And this is like, guys, you're just in an admin meeting now. We're just talking about a tactic. <laughs> okay, tell me, Rory, now, now that we are off mic, but, tell me everything, Rory. But we're just going to have to be crazy pro Qatar. No, I mean, what we need what? to do is, <laughs> is we need to cover the World Cup. But just and make sure that we cover the other the, side of it, right? Yeah. Every episode, we open with a list of people who lost their life building those fucking stadiums. Yeah. Let's do it. There we unfortunately, go. Unfortunately, we cannot do it because those people were stolen. Their well, that list definitely doesn't so, exist, yeah. does it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that list definitely doesn't exist. Yeah. But, sorry, sorry for giggling about this. No. It's not funny, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's annoying. You know, we love football, and when football is on, we're going to watch it. Mm -hmm. But we definitely don't like the direction of the, that it's taking. And if, like... <laughs> I wish we could take part in that fucking poll. Like, that's mm -hmm. another thing that I'm against, too. Like, make sure, if you really say that these decisions are for the people, they are for the football fans, fucking make sure that they have the opportunity to say what they think. Mm -hmm. Don't have your 100 employees take a poll <laughs> with, <laughs> and you highlight, this is the box that you should tick, you know, you otherwise. Watching <laughs> over their shoulder. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm sorry, there is a camera in the room where I'm voting. <laughs> ah, don't mind that. <clears throat> if you vote the right box, uh, nothing is going to happen. But no, the only thing is you say that you're making all these decisions for the fans. Well, fucking make sure that they have an opportunity to say what they think. That's mm-hmm. my, Include the fans. That's Just include sense. the fans. Yeah. Include yeah, the yeah. fans. Indeed. I believe this is the end of our weekly topic uh, with Arsene Wenger's modest proposal. It's now time to jump to the weekly topic quiz. Rory, are you excited? I'm so excited. You only need one point and you will be awarded. Well, we're going to find out in the quiz. Will I do it? And for possibly the last time, it is time for the one minute till kickoff quiz. I, this week, have chosen as my topic, the forbidden enemy, Tottenham Hotspur. Tommy, how difficult have you made the questions? They're they're not that difficult. They're not that difficult. You only need one point to win. So you're leading 19 to 13. If you get that one answer right, it will be the end of the one minute to kick off quiz. You will be awarded a pat on the shoulder from myself. And we can move on to a brand new quiz, which, spoiler alert, we haven't thought about yet. (laughs) So as you guys know, Rory hasn't had a chance to review anything about Tottenham Hotspur this week. But how do you feel about it? Um, I feel like I might know more than I think. Does that make sense? I don't know. Um, We'll see. No, I haven't read about them. I don't want to acknowledge their existence at the moment or ever. So I've not read about them. Um, But we'll see how we do. I know a bit about the history, I think. Because my dad, a bit of a confession here, my dad... He always said if he had, if he had one like big team, it was Spurs. So he did used to tell what? me a little bit. I know, yeah, he did used to tell me a little bit about Spurs. So I think I, I know a little I, bit about. It. I didn't know about this one. I try and keep it quiet. You know, these are the family secrets. This is like I'm ashamed of this. But Rory, it's time to take uh, to take your seat on the chair at the center of our beautiful studio. Maybe it's going to be the last time that you are going to hear this theme sound. Rory Criscuolo, will he be awarded a pat on the shoulder for his deeds at the one minute to kick off quids? Mr. Rory Criscuolo, are you ready to answer seven questions about the history of Tottenham Hotspur? Come on, Arsenal, let's go. (laughs) Three, two, one, off we go. Either in Latin or in English, which one is Tottenham's tagline? I don't know how to call it to dare is to do oh my god he has already won but let's keep going in which year were tottenham founded 1897 wrong when was tottenham's last fa cup win 1994 wrong which player has the most appearances for spurs danny blanchflower Wrong. Pochettino, Villas, Boas, Mourinho. Which one of these managers has got the highest win percentage for Tottenham Hotspur? Mourinho. 
wrong. Damn. I wanted which, to be Mourinho. In, in which year Mr. Levy became, actually replaced Sugar as Tottenham Hotspur chairman? 2001. Correct! Oh. And can you name, finally, three players that have both played for Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur? Sol Campbell, yep. Pat Jennings, yep. and Rohan Ricketts. Yes, you oh, got it. Oh. With three correct answers, Rory Crisqualo ends the one minute of to kickoff with 22 points. Tommaso can only look from afar and below. I end the one minute to kickoff quiz with 13 points. Oh my God. That's I'm kind of sad it's ended. I'm kind of sad it's ended. I enjoyed that quiz. We're going to have to come up with a new one, make it something fresh. Any if suggestions, guys, listeners, yeah. always welcome. Um, yeah, if you guys have got any ideas, please. Yeah, genuinely, guys, know. any ideas? We don't have any. We're running out. Help us. But Rory, good job. So I said the tagline, but of course it's not a tagline. What would you call it? The motto, maybe? Motto, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know what it is? It doesn't Latin? mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to dare is to do. No, it isn't. To do is to do. <laughs> it, it, it it's mean very anything. emblematic of Tottenham's history, <laughs> yeah. if you like. Did you guys dare? Yes, we lost the 7 0. Well, that's good enough. You did, <laughs> right? Yeah. So do you know do you know actually what it is in Latin? No idea. No, no, no. I don't know about the stress on the words, and I feel very okay. ignorant, but I believe it's audere est facere. So to dare is to do. In which year were Tottenham Hotspur funded, Rory? I said 1897, but I have no idea. 1882 was the correct answer. When was their last FA Cup win? It was early 90s, but I can't remember Mm -hmm. when. Very early 90s. 91? Yeah, 1991. This guy is on a roll. Who is the player with most appearances for Tottenham Hotspur? He played for the North London Club from 1969 to 1986, and he totaled a grand total of 854 appearances. I have no idea. Honestly, no idea. name of Steve. Does this ring a bell? No. Steve Perryman. I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know who that is. But cheers, Steve. Pochettino, Villas, Boas, and Mourinho. Which of these managers has got the highest win percentage for Tottenham Hotspur? Now, the interesting thing is that both, I mean, all of these three managers, they rank pretty high. Fifth, Mm -hmm. sixth, and seventh position. Um, Pochettino, he has got a 54.27% win rate. Mourinho, a little lower than him, 51.16%. But the one that had the most with 55% sharp was Villas Boas. Wow. Having won 44 out of 80 games. That's pretty good. good. Whatever happened to that guy? He got chased out of that job as well. Um, Whatever happened to that guy? He ended up doing the Dakar rally after after management. He went off and drove around the world and then... I think he's in management again now somewhere, right? He was in Russia for a bit, and I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, he's still about. But he, I remember yeah, he did the Dakar rally. I remember yeah. for a long time he was widely considered as Mourinho's managing mm. hair um, because he had yeah, worked yeah. under Mourinho. And I actually liked the guy. I, I, I liked him. I don't know. I think he managed Tottenham, and then everything went kind of downhill. There's a really crazy story about him and Bobby Robson. So basically, when he was a kid, he lived in the same apartment block as, as Bobby Robson. 
And Bobby Robson like took him under his wing, and that's the reason why he's a coach. So it's like Bobby Robson not only brought Mourinho into the game, he brought Villas Boas into the game as a coach as well. It's crazy. It's like a really serendipitous story. Um, mm. Yeah. So I was just checking. So he managed Tottenham from 2012 to 2013, then Zenit St. Petersburg, 2014, 2016. Then he went on a little money trip to China, Shanghai from 2016 <laughs> to 2017, came back to Europe, and his last job in management was in France. Was it Marseille? It wasn't Marseille, was yeah, it? Marseille. Yeah, Marseille. Until yeah. this year, he... He quit the job this year, I guess, 2021, and uh, right now is out of a job. So, guys, if your football team needs a manager, hit Andre up. Then, in which year did Levy replace Sugar as Hotspur chairman? It was indeed 2001, which is also the year in which w- which famous historical event happened, Rory? Oh, um, that thing in New York. I'm not saying the it again. Twin Towers, <laughs> 9-11. It again. I'm shouting over you. Right. And finally, <laughs> do you know how many players have played both for Tottenham and Arsenal? I can think of one more. David Bentley played for both as well. Yes. Um, but I don't know how many in total. Not many. 15. 15. Oh, really? That's not bad. So in no particular chronological order, because I had to go through two different websites, I'm going to read the names. Laurie Brown, David Jenkins, Jimmy Robertson, Willie Young, Pat Jennings, Saul Campbell, William Galas. Hmm. Oh, crap. Yeah. Emanuela de Bayor, Jimmy Brain. (laughs) Jimmy Brain. Sounds like a made-up English name. I love it. (laughs) George Hunt, Freddie Cox, Vic Groves, Steve Walford, Roham Ricketts, and David Bentley. Very nice. Also, Roham Ricketts is someone I would love to have on this part. His career has been crazy. He played like all over the world. Rohan, if you're out there, if anybody knows Rohan, drop him a message. I want that guy on the pod. His career has been intense. Yeah, we need new guests, guys. If you've got ideas, if you know of anybody who's keen to come on a podcast, please let us know. We are dying to have a new (laughs) big name on and chat some football with them. I believe we've come to the end of the episode. Rory, are you going to be online with the football manager on Sunday night or not? Now, of course, as we have previously talked about, we are going to the game on Sunday. So Sunday night, I will not be able to stream. I'm going to try to do it on Friday night, I think. But keep an eye on our socials. I will be announcing it. The first one was really good. So keep an eye on it. Or I think it was really good. It's not for me to say. But um, (laughs) keep your eye on our socials and it will be announced somewhere. At Italian Anglo Pod on Twitter, at Anglo Italian Pod on Instagram, and remember also to give a follow to our cheeky sponsor at the Sports Club Maps. Rory, I believe it's your turn to send off our beautiful listeners with our customary quote, which, god damn it, I'm not sure I want to hear once again, but off you go. It could only be one man. So, on the day of Italy Switzerland, a few hours before kickoff, infamous former Italy manager Giampiero Ventura made the decision to call it a day on his career. And of course, he did so with the biggest jinx job you will ever hear. He said, after 37 years in football, with a lot of satisfying moments and a few negative ones, yep, <laughs> I believe it is my right to get my life back. I wish Roberto Mancini the best of luck. May he go to the World Cup and win it all. Cheers, Giampiero. God damn it. Talk to you later, guys. <laughs> <laughs>